Welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Zinn. I'm a mother, an author, and an entrepreneur who is committed to and curious about living a life that is always evolving. This is a lifestyle podcast covering health, both body and mind, self-care, why it is a necessity and how tough it can be to master, entrepreneurship, its ups and downs, cultural disruption, and the topics we sometimes avoid, as well as love, sex, friendship, and more. This podcast is a place and a community for people who are willing to do the hard work of growth, who want the tools and inspiration to step into it, and who want to grow each and every day of their lives. I interview movement makers, leaders, survivors, writers, and founders. Their stories move me and will move you to cultivate more strength and clarity during every step of your day. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for spending time with me at this very special place in my life over here at the Going Beyond podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Randy here. I'm psyched that you're tuning in. I always love um, getting an episode started. And on this side of the record, I wonder who's listening. It's you listening. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome. You all know, those of you who listen, that I like to talk about topics that are near and dear to my heart and often things that are really personal and sometimes kind of difficult even, but I love to go there because my learnings over time is that if something has impacted me, it's probably impacted my listeners. There's kind of like those series of topics and conversations that are just a universal of life. And we're all swimming in those realities and we're all trying to figure out our way through. And one of those profound experiences of life that you simply can't be living and escape is the experience of loss. In some way, shape, or form, loss will affect us. And loss comes in lots of different forms. We know this. For the sake of today's conversation, we're going to be focusing quite a bit on loss through actual, the loss of a loved one. And I really can't tell you how excited I am to bring the person who is sharing this conversation with me today onto the podcast because from her own profound and early losses has created a space that I wish I had when I went through some of the very (laughs) profound losses that have affected me in my life. So I'm here today with Rebecca Sofer, and we were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, Zibby Owens, who also has a podcast all about reading and books. And when I was a guest on her podcast, she was like, oh my gosh, you need to meet this woman, Rebecca. And before you know it, the three of us are in touch and we're actually going to be part of an event together. So I just love those connections. But back to Rebecca, let me tell you a little bit about her and then we're going to get into this conversation. So Rebecca is the co-founder and CEO of a digital and in real-time forum called Modern Loss. And Modern Loss is all about grief and resilience within a contemporary context. She's also the co-author of a book called Modern Loss, Candid Conversation About Grief, Beginner's Welcome, which The Cut recently named one of the best books on loss for a younger generation. 
She's been all around media, let's call it that. She's led retreats at special, special places like Kripalu, and her writing has appeared in all kinds of major media outlets like the New York Times and Marie Claire, and she's been on TV, and she's a graduate of Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, and she lives on the Upper West Side with her husband and her two children. So I, with like my full heart and soul, I really... I'm excited to have a conversation with Rebecca because loss is unfortunately a place where we don't get the support and the voice in this culture that it needs. So we're going to get into it here on the podcast today, and I would like to welcome Rebecca now. So hey, Rebecca, hi. Hey, hi. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. (laughs) I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted that you're here. You know, when I went to the Modern Loss website, I was immediately struck by a couple of very specific ways that this site is organized, which immediately gripped me and brought me back to a time 14 years ago when I lost my dad in a plane crash. And I couldn't find any place that honored tragic sudden loss, that honored the loss of a parent when you're young. There was nowhere really to go. And I can talk later about how I handled that and what I did. But like immediately when I went to your website, I looked at the top types of loss and I can drop down and see mother, father, spouse, sibling, miscarriage, child, friend, grandparent, pet. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) there's a lot of loss out there. A lot. Yeah, there really is. And I started combing through the content and I was like, oh my God, like people are writing about things that I don't know if I've ever even given voice to in my own loss experience. And here are essays and articles that are other people talking about it. And it's like talking about it like in real time, like, like you're saying, like a modern voice where whether you've been through loss a million times or this is your first real loss experience, it's like, you're welcome here. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, our tagline is, and has been since we launched six years ago is modern loss, candid conversation about grief, beginners welcome. Because, you know, we're all beginners when it comes to this stuff. I had my own profound losses start happening a bit over a decade ago, but I still feel like a beginner because as I'm sure we're going to talk about in this conversation, every single different stage of living with your loss is like a new layer of the onion that you're peeling. You're just experiencing in a different way across the long arc of things. And, you know, so we just want everybody to feel welcome to that conversation. It's not just for people who just had their mom's funeral yesterday or just had a miscarriage last month. It's for those people who had those things maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago too. Yeah. Let's just talk for a minute about the big picture. Mm -hmm. I think the big picture for most of us who have been through a loss and uh, live, you know, in the United States, in our culture, as we may define it, and within our larger culture are, of course, subsets and other cultures. But I think I would say from a bigger picture, like let's call it maybe a Judeo-Christian type of background, there seems to be a missing something. And I've always tried to kind of define what that is. You know, religion can sometimes only take you so far. 
And I consider myself lucky that I had a little bit more of a spiritualized version of support through my loss because I have a rabbi who is that. But I still would say that the more ritualized, community-based, really open-hearted way of looking at how grief and loss affects us over the long haul is something that's really sorely missing. Yeah, it is. You know, I think it's wonderful that you have a rabbi who is just such an emotional and maybe an inspirational touchstone for you, but a lot of people don't have that. And a lot of people in this day and age aren't really associated strongly with religion. And that's where modern loss comes in for me, which is, you know, I, the whole reason modern loss exists in the first place and what it is, is is a website, you know, we've run more than a thousand original pieces that are personal essays, practical resources, advice columns, et cetera, about all aspects of um, death loss and resilience and have done live events and I have a book, et cetera. I'm sure we'll talk about all that stuff. But the whole reason it exists in the first place is because my mom died very suddenly, unfortunately, in an accident, just like your dad did, but it was a car accident not a plane crash. And I had just turned 30 and I was working in media. I was a producer for the Colbert Report. I was single Upper West Sider trying to pay off my graduate school loans and had all these plans to build up my life. And then all of a sudden I had a dead mom who I had just given a hug goodbye to an hour beforehand. And I was looking everywhere for meaning and for guidance and for a roadmap. I just wanted a blueprint. (laughs) Like I, as you unfortunately well know, you know, you feel so raw, you feel so vulnerable and you feel so numb in those early days and you will do anything. You're like desperate for somebody to tell you what to do. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, some people turn to religion in order to do that because there are roadmaps that are written for them. For me, I clung to a couple of those things. I'm Jewish. I'm like a proud cultural Jew. I live on the Upper West Side. My kids both went to Jewish preschool. I have a son who's a six-year-old and he's in Hebrew school. And I just, I keep laughing about it because I remember when my parents, you know, had me go to Hebrew school and I thought of it as torture, but here I am, you know, like passing the doors. I'm like, you're not going to break free of this. And I I love it all, you know, (laughs) I love it. But there were some things in Judaism that really didn't resonate with me and fell flat with me and some rituals that I was told were meant to be really helpful and didn't end up being helpful. In fact, they made things worse for me because I was comparing myself against like, oh, what am I doing wrong here? Because everyone says it's supposed to be helpful and meaningful. And so I realized that I'm just this kind of grief omnivore and I just want to pull from anywhere where I can find some sort of inspiration and comfort and guidance and be that, you know, it could be from religion, from any religion in the world. It could be from, you know, spirituality. It could just be from nature or just really practical body advice from somebody who's also been put through the ringer. And so modern loss really exists as a way to fill that white space that really wasn't filled when we launched six years ago. Having this space where anybody can come to. They could be atheists. They could be Orthodox Jews. They could be in the freaking seminary for all I care to become a Catholic priest. 
but they want to come together to talk about this long arc of the mess of grief, this search for meaning in terms of finding some resilience they can use to live out the rest of their lives in a way that isn't just surviving, but really thriving. And they want to do it in a way that's not overtly religious, because there are really great outlets for that in a way that isn't full of platitudes. And when I say platitudes, I feel like you know what I'm talking about. When people assure you that they're in a better place, or it takes a year, or God needed another angel. I don't know about you, but when your dad died, I'm assuming that these things were not the most helpful things to hear. You know, and just in a way that, you know, isn't really clinical because there are also a lot of places where you can go and self-diagnose and convince yourself that you're going insane and really you're just grieving. And so as a producer and a journalist and a storyteller, I just wanted to read people's stories and give people the chance to share theirs because that to me is what really can humanize all of us and really pull us all in, pull us together. The tenant of modern loss is that storytelling is a real change agent. And I personally believe that grief is so isolating. It's like such this lonely ride. And it can be a lonely ride even like 15 years down the line because something will hit you and that microchip can't be implanted in anybody else's brain to hit them in the same way. So I think that if we are able to share our stories in a way that's really honest and really vulnerable and really open, then we enable each other to kind of spread this burden of carrying grief amongst everybody. And then that kind of lights our own personal burden. We just feel like we're among other people who get it. And just that knowledge is so incredibly healing and motivating and inspiring. It's so true. And I think that this need for this level of support, it just, it really does just continue over time. You know, just reading, like looking at your story, it's like just the fact that then you lost your dad four years later. Like, I just want to like give you the biggest squeeze because (laughs) I understand like what my rabbi even says, like grief begets grief. So like whatever grief happened before, you still live with that. And then you suffer another loss. And it's like, it all sort of becomes this accumulated uh, reality inside of you. And however it processes and works its way through, it's its own thing. It's like, it's not going to be the same as anyone else's. But there really are commonalities of what's happening. And I love that you said that when you're grieving, you can feel like you're going crazy because Mm -hmm. it does feel crazy. But in fact, it is a real journey and a real process that your mind and your body and your psyche is like in the process of relearning how to cope with life in a new form. And, you know, getting familiar with that is something that takes time and the right resources. It does. And it also takes a lot of, you know, just like cutting yourself a break because we are so good at beating ourselves up. And it sucks because our culture, you're talking about our culture. Our culture is really shitty when it comes to talking about this kind of stuff. You know, it's really bad talking about difficult things. And grief and loss is a very difficult thing to talk about. But the newsflash is that it's also something that every single person who has ever had a meaningful relationship is going to deal with. And that's the irony of it all. Like, I mean, I think we've proven in the media (laughs) from the headlines that like taxes aren't even a commonality anymore, but death is. And so why are we so bad at talking about grief? It's a part of life. 
it's not a big deal. Like, I'm not saying that it's not a meaningful experience and a profound experience, but it's not a big deal to talk about this stuff. I don't understand why we have problems talking about it. And I got really sick of it. And that's why modern loss exists. You know, it's interesting. I last year went through the process of caring for a much older cousin than myself who my dad cared for and I kind of sort of inherited and then grew to love her and like respect the relationship. And then she was diagnosed with cancer and then she passed. And in that process of her passing, I was astounded by how raw it felt and how upsetting and even confusing it felt. Because for the first time in my life, I was experiencing death through an illness. Like, I mean, grandparents when I was younger, yes, but I was younger. This is like more from the adult standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there being like, wow, this is so interesting because now I'm on this side of something of like, I know this is happening. I intellectually understand it, but yet I'm still feeling a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And I asked my best friend at the time, like, why did she think we had such a, a celebratory relationship with birth, but such a weird painful experience that we can't always define with death. And her answer I thought was like, was right on. And it was something to the effect of like, when a child is born, we can understand what they're about to walk into. Like we know they're, they're going to become babies and they're going to become people. And then they have this life to live. Mm -hmm. And then like, but when someone dies, there's all this unknown and it becomes this space of like fear and lack Mm -hmm. of control because we just don't know. Exactly. Lack of control. That's a great answer. I totally agree. I mean, yeah, I really, I agree. And I don't think that like, you know, I, well, it's getting harder. Let's be honest. It's getting harder to believe in the inherent good of humanity. Yeah. I go out of my way to still try and believe in it. And I do believe that we're not trying to hurt someone when we say something that isn't helpful at all to somebody who's grieving. We're not trying to make it worse for them we do it because we're really bad at talking about this stuff because we don't have the language in our culture to talk about grief and loss in a way that doesn't make people feel like the onus is on them to make you feel better talking about their loss. You know, I'm sure you know what I mean. How many times have you been in a room, especially in those first few years after your dad's death to a plane crash, like a horrific death where you felt like you had to make other people feel comfortable in the conversation? Yeah, And it's like, I mean, how many times have you had to say, no, no, it's okay. I'm okay. And it's okay to not be okay, but it also doesn't mean that, you know, the record has to come to a screeching halt in the room. Every time you mention somebody who's died or every time you've mentioned loss, it can be folded into all the other conversation in life. And that's what modern loss is trying to do. It's trying to just normalize it. And that's why we do it with a lot of humor. We do it with a lot of irreverence because, you know, life is messy and death is messy. So why grief and loss is naturally messy. And in the mess, there's a lot of humor. And so we try and embrace that because if you do it in that way, then you won't end up scaring people off and make them fearful to touch this conversation. Then you'll make them realize that, oh, I get it. Grief is not contagious. Like I, maybe I'm not going to catch grief if I have a conversation with a friend who just had a miscarriage. Maybe I won't try to, you know, maybe I won't be scared to bring it up or maybe I won't be, you know, nervous that I'll be reminding them of a loss. We want to make people more empathic. We feel like the world sorely needs a bit more empathy these days. And I think that 
why not do it through chatting about loss? Because that is truly, you know, along with birth, the only thing that every single one of us has in common. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's interesting what comes up for me as I'm going back in time and remembering, you know, the handful of people that kind of disappeared when I went through all that tough mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you and never forget them, right? No, you, you never, never forget, forget it. Yep. But what was interesting is I remember like, you know, however long after some of them came back, like kind of in tears, like almost begging for forgiveness and admitting like they didn't know what to say and didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that comes up for me when you talk about this intention for creating more ease around the subject, mm-hmm. it's not only those going through the actual loss that suddenly gain more conversation, more support, but it's also those that want to be supportive, but just don't always know how and don't have the language. And that is also really difficult. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, so we have kind of a multi-tiered mission. And the first tier is we just want to make people feel less alone in their loss. And we want to make people feel like they have a community of other people who get it at any stage in the game. Like I was never a parent going through the loss of my own parents until I became a parent. And my parents had already been dead when that happened. And all of a sudden I'm experiencing loss in a whole new way. And I actually need a community in a way in which I didn't need it in in that exact same way right after my mom died, because I didn't need to talk to people about how do I raise kids with a dead mom? Because I didn't have kids, but now I did. So, you know, Modern Lust really wants to be that thing that's there for you across a long arc, but also we want to eradicate the stigma and we want to educate other people on how to have those conversations. And I think it's great that you had people come back to you in tears, you know, and wishing that they had done things differently. And I think that's wonderful because I always say to people, we have this amazing closed Facebook group and I'm always, you know, somebody who encourages people to give their friends another chance and not to write them off completely when they don't come through for them because people suck at this and you got to cut them a break because we weren't raised with the language. We weren't raised with, you know, language to use that were outside platitudes or coming up with some sort of explanation for what happened. Because like your friend said, we, F is this great unknown and we're scared to talk about it because we don't want to remind ourselves that you know, we're also going to die. And so we're uncomfortable. And that's cool. So we should just get less uncomfortable. You got to give people the room to grow there. Because true empaths really will. They really will want to grow or truly thoughtful people. It's okay to screw up and say the wrong thing. It's okay to like, you know, not be there for somebody, because it just happens. But a lot of people will come back to you down the line. Once they realize what they could be saying differently. And I think it's really important to give them another chance. Yeah, I agree with you. It kind of all comes back to the the compassion piece. Like everyone struggles when it comes to this topic. Let's, I'm just going with the flow of what you're talking about. Like, let's talk about having gone through loss, which you and I both did. Um, you were 30, I was 25. And then becoming a parent, it does resurface, doesn't it? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that for you, and, and then I'll share a little bit about for me. And forgive me coughing. I talking about parenthood. I have a sick kindergartner in the other room while I'm doing this interview. We get it. And I'm just getting over pneumonia myself, which I'm sure my children passed on to me. And oh my god! Continually take me down. But yeah, you know, my mom died. I was 30 years old. I was single. 
I had this great job, which was a dream job. I was building up my life. I was so excited. And then all of a sudden the tracks changed or they merged, you know, like I was on the building up my life track, but then I also merged with the, oh, by the way, you're going through profound loss at the same time track. So I had this incredibly difficult time, which I think is understandable, but at the time I was really hard on myself for it, of trying to navigate the stage of building up my life, you know, wanting to build up my career and find a partner and get rid of my college era Jennifer convertible and maybe get something nicer eventually. And also, you know, dealing with building that up without the one and then the two people who I fully expected to be there to emotionally support me and also enjoy this experience of my building up my life because they were major characters in it. My mom and my dad, I'm a huge parent person. The fact that both my parents died by the time I was 34 is like the ultimate irony because I love parents. Like I love hanging out with people's parents. I've always loved multi-generational social experiences. Mm. And all of a sudden I didn't have either one of the people that I fully expected to be involved in grandparents day at school or, you know, walking me down the aisle when I got married or, you know, there automatically when I had a baby, not just to be a grandparent, but also to help out. And because I could let it all hang out with them. And all of a sudden I didn't have those people. And so I had my first child in 2013. My mom died in 2006 and my dad died at the end of 2010. And so my whole pregnancy was, it was not, I mean, it was a difficult pregnancy, like in that I threw up every single day for, let's call it 10 months, you know, Um, but I was healthy. Everything turned out fine, but I was bracing myself for giving birth to my son. I was really bracing myself. And incidentally, when I found out that I was having a boy, when I was maybe, I don't know how many, two or three months pregnant, I was really, I felt very desolate and bleak because I thought that the universe kind of owed me a daughter so that I could recreate the mother-daughter relationship Mm. that I had with my mom. And mind you, my dad had also died and I really love him too, but my mom was my person. And I was so bitter for a period of 24 hours. And also I felt very, I felt very hopeless. Like I was sad. I was depressed. And, you know, I was like, what am I going to do with a little boy? This isn't what's to happen. And the next day I woke up and I had a really great tough love conversation with my friend who's also an author. She's a terrific author. Her name is Glynis McNichol. And she gave me this tough love kind of chat and was like, A, I don't think you have a choice here. You know, like I think <laughs> done. And I was like, okay, this is actually true. And she said, B, you know, the world has enough really amazing women. And my mom was a huge feminist. Like my mother brought me to pro-choice rallies in DC when I was a kid. She was on the board of NARAL. You know, she was a member of NOW. She was just such a wonderful liberal doer and supporter. And you know, my friend said, this is your chance to raise a really solid man Mm. and the kind of man that we need in the world right now. This is your chance. And so in a way, this is kind of what the universe should be sending you. Mm. And I, it was in that moment where I was like, you're totally right. Like, that's crazy. You're right. Like, this is maybe like, I don't really believe in the afterlife. I don't, I would love to think that my mom is sitting right here and watching everything that's happening. I don't personally believe that. I do believe that it's impossible for energy (laughs) to disappear 
So I do think that her energy is out there because I don't know how energy vanishes. And I feel like her energy sent that to me. And so, you know, that was my very first experience of parenting through loss where I felt so alone and so sad and so confused. And I was like, what am I going to do with a boy? And then I just kind of had to mother myself. I had to learn how to make sense of things and come up with really great explanations that seemed motivating and caring and loving that would be more self-care than care provided by my mom to me. And it just became clear that that's kind of what parenting through loss is, which is should be what parenting in general is, right? Which is really being kind to yourself really not beating yourself up, which I do all the time, by the way. I mean, total hypocrite talking about self-care. But, you know, really thinking about when you wish that your mom or your dad were here to be at your kid's bris or, you know, their first birthday party, or when you see those traits in your parents or your loved one, it could be like you lost your brother and you see it in your child, you see an expression and it just throws you through for a loop. And it's so hard to go through that. It really is. It's a really tough thing. And genetics are so crazy. You know, it also reminds you that genetics are insane, you know, but you just need to be kind to yourself when those things happen because you're in it for the long haul, you know, like you're never going to have that person physically there with you again. So you need to learn to kind of fill in that emotional void. And sometimes it's filled in by yourself with love and self-care and imagining what they would want for you. But it really doesn't ever replace the fact that my mom's never going to be at grandparents' day, you know, that she'll never see a recital. You know, anybody I need to care for my child and my kid, oh, I have two kids. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I like just have to remember (laughs) that I have to offer a legal tender to them because I don't have anybody in my life who just shows up with a bag of baked chicken and a big hug and says, let me take over. It's going to be okay. I mean, I have those people, but I have to pay them money. They're really amazing professional babysitters who I love. And so talking about parenting through loss, it's really hard. But on the flip side, and I'll shut up after this, I also find that it brings a lot of gifts that if you're going too fast, you can miss them. You can only realize them when you stop and really think about like, how do I feel like I'm doing this differently given what I'm going through, given what I've lost? Do you know, like you'll never fully know, but you know yourself, you know? And I feel like the fact that my mom died so violently and so suddenly, and my dad died so suddenly, you know, like I didn't get to say goodbye to either one of them. I feel like it's made me so much more present in my kids' lives. I feel like I really stop and I observe them and I am able to really be in the moment with them. And sometimes I have to force myself to leave my phone in the other room. I'm not just like a generally Zen person, but like I try and revel in the moment because I know that they're fleeting. You know, every minute is a loss. I'm aware of loss. Every single minute is a loss. So I consciously remind myself of that. And in a very weird sounding way, it makes my experience as a parent a lot richer. I so relate to so many things you just said, Rebecca. I'm like... (laughs) I mean, we clearly need to have lunch, like right after. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. You kind of told my story. Like, I feel like you just gave voice to to things that I'm emotional. Like, there it is. But I've cried before on the podcast, so it's okay. 
Oh, I will cry with you. I got up at three in the morning for the day. I will cry with you. <laughs> I actually got a box of tissues here. I was like, all right, for this one, I have a feeling I will cry. You know, there's so many, like, I'm also intuiting that you're an only child as well. Are you? I am an only child. Which so am I. That, so isn't am I. that freaking, you know, bullshit? <laughs> it is bullshit. <laughs> I also am. And I feel like that has been the other, like, really sad part That's of the, so of the whole story. God, I want to like jump through the screen right now and hug you. Yeah. It's so lonely, isn't it? It is. It's really lonely. It's lonely. Like it's not just lonely in the ways in which you think it would be lonely. Like, Oh, there's no one to help you like choose what your parents going to wear for the rest of their non-life in the yeah. coffin. I mean, there's no one to bounce anything off of, but it's also lonely because there's just, nobody who's who can remember them with you in that same you know clearly siblings have different relationships with their parents and clearly not all siblings are super close with each other like I get that okay but in a Pollyanna way like sorry I still wish that I had a sibling oh totally even if we drove each other up the wall because I could still be like remember when mom or remember when dad and like you know, if loss has done anything to me as an only child, it's made me super paranoid. And I'm so nervous to forget things that I've become the mom who is taking 16 trillion pictures of my children because I'm scared (laughs) to forget. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's really interesting is that, I mean, I could reiterate so many aspects of the things that you said that are also, you know, my story, but I'll just say that so many things that you said are also my experience, you know, everything from like, you know, my experience of having support with my children is paid support. And yet these people have become like incredible, profound parts of my life. And that is real. I think that I've learned that, yeah, you have to be present in every moment because you just don't know what, you know, the next moment would bring. And yes, it does sort of like zero you in. That's a powerful tool because not many people, you know, really understand that on a deep level. Like you can recite those words, but you don't always feel it and embody Mm -hmm. it. So that is a gift in a sense, but like, you know, even the whole, the meaning that you associated to finding out the gender of your child, it's funny, like all of the meaning that you place into things to describe your experience to yourself, like that is its own process that happens like throughout the rest of your life. You know, I did have the son after I lost my dad and I, that did feel like some sort of divine thing. And I did name him after my dad and he has the same astrological sign, like all those things where you're like, Oh my God, this is, you know, not to say it's like my dad being reborn, but there felt like these meaningful things. But I also was totally freaked out because similar to yourself, I was like, what the hell am I going to do with a boy? So yeah, (laughs) that is a real experience as well. But I somehow figured out what to do with him. He's eight years old now. You're doing something, right? I'm doing something. Yeah. And then I had my daughter four years later and that sort of had its own whole other meaning and relationship and watching her begin her journey of having a father with my husband and like watching the father-daughter relationship happen. Like it brings about all this other meaning and longing. And, you know, in my case, I really can't imagine sitting where you sit with both parents gone. But what I can say is that my relationship, though I am lucky enough to still have my mom, 
my relationship with her has shifted and changed over the years. And what I understand now is that especially in the form of the the triangle, I would call it, of the two parents and the one child, when you remove one, like the whole thing changes its shape. And I think that like the longing for siblings also comes because it's like this feeling like, is there anyone else here to kind of have a voice here of any of this with me? You know, and that's hard. In my case, I was also an only grandchild on both sides. So I have no first cousins. So like there's even like as the layers go out, always been this like real feeling of loneliness. And it's a deep kind. Again, like every dark thing has its gift. And on the gift side, I hold my nuclear family that I'm making in a very, very aware, sacred space. Mm -hmm. And also, my friendships have always been my family. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Rebecca. It's like my girlfriends, like I am so freaking lucky. Like I've had friends since I'm like eight years old that are still my best friends. Mm -hmm. And that is like everything. They're your witnesses too, right? Yeah. Because that means so much. Like they knew your dad. Yes. Yes. And it means so much. Like I just feel like friendship and long-term childhood friendships take on a whole new meeting, like have a whole new necessity. Yeah, it's so true. And like, I couldn't live without that stuff. But yeah, like even bringing how you brought up the like, who would be the guardians of my children if something happened? Like, you know, that's a whole other like, excuse my French, like fucked up thing that like. I love that you said that because the first thing that I said to my husband, Justin, when we found out I was pregnant. And when I mean, like, I came out with the stick from the bathroom looking stunned. Uh-huh. Ironic, considering, like, I was trying to get pregnant. But it's still, like, a weird moment, right? Yes. And I sat down, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, we're going to have a baby. And, and I remember he goes, huh. And I was like, what kind of – I think we were just, like, very shocked. And then I said, we have to figure out who's going to get him or who's going to get the baby when we, if we die, if we both die together. Yeah. That was the first thing that I said. Is that so messed up? No. Well, it's not messed up because here's the thing that I've come to peace with. And this was actually something that I did want to talk to you about in this conversation. We're sort of heading there is that there are certain ways that now, if you have gone through a, a loss, like it doesn't always bring out the best parts of your thoughts. Like I would say that I have experienced more post-traumatic stress responses and anxieties and worries in a certain kind of way since I've had kids that I've had to do some like pretty deep therapeutic work on to not be crippled by them. Because I mean, the thing is, is like people can make those comments and these are like the ones where I'm like, oh, you have no idea when they're like, oh, but that's like a one in a million kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, but if one in a million happens to you, Mm -hmm. like suddenly it's incredibly possible. So Mm -hmm. for me, like, you know, and I've come to learn that like trauma and especially loss in a traumatic sense, it almost like carves new pathways in your brain. And that has everything to do with the neurology (laughs) and the science behind what a human being does to survive. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of therapies and lots of ways of working with that and even redefining that over time. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible. But you know, you do become different when you go through those things and then enter a child 
world whom you love more than life. And then you're like, oh shit, I have to protect this love and this person and this experience. And suddenly you're operating based on all of these losses that have happened, but also based on all this love you feel. And it's very complicated. (laughs) It's very complicated. That's the perfect way to describe it. It's just all a mess. And within the mess, there's a lot of heartache. Um, There's a lot of yearning. Well, there's always going to be yearning. You know, there's always going to be, if only, you know, and there's a lot of darkness. But there is also a lot of light and realizations and inspiration and creativity because in the absence of your dad, you you have no choice but to figure out ways to do this without him. And you have to be creative about it. And sometimes that's excruciating. And and sometimes it's like, can be really fun. And I know that that sounds really weird. No, I mean. And it's like, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to somebody who's grieving somebody's death. I'm just saying that it is what it is. And that took me a lot of years to really embrace that phrase. It is what it is. My mom is dead. It sucks. I'd do anything to have her back, but she's never coming back. And so okay, I'm going to have fun coming up with family traditions because I don't remember every single thing she did for me when I was three for my birthday or four for my birthday. Like, you know, I'm going to come up with ways to have my kids get to know their memories. And one of the best ways that I do that is telling bedtime stories that feature my mom and dad as characters. Yes, I I do that too. I've done that too. And it's just like, I'm into superheroes, whatever. And I think it's such a great mental and emotional exercise because, you know, you're an only child. You don't have a lot of people who you can say, remember when mom or dad did this, but you do have those memories of those experiences with your dad in you. And sometimes it just comes down to letting your brain kind of like open up and float and then they come up and then you can just tell them as a story. And it's yeah. really fun. And it's really like, I don't want really like the word healing because we're never fully healed, but we're also never fully broken either. Yeah. We're just yeah. not, you know, we're not. You, the reason we're not is because if we've made the choice to stick around, that means we're not broken. Exactly. You know, another interesting thing that I'm sure you can relate to is, you know, in all these stories that you tell about your parents and how they become almost like these characters, like in a story or in a book. And like, you know, of course you share photos and images and things like that. But I sometimes think about how, you know, my dad has almost become like a hero or like almost romanticized his humanity because now when time goes on, it's like, I now haven't had the privilege of getting to know like all the places his life would have gone, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, he was totally amazing. And he was also totally imperfect, just like all of us. And, you know, what have been the story and what have happened? And, you know, the funny reality is that if he had never died, my life would have never gone in the direction that it did. My husband, I probably wouldn't have these children. I would be doing something totally different professionally and in my life, things would, my whole life is sort of built on the fact that it happened. And I find that to be also a very complicated part of going through loss because there's always the pain and there's always the wish that it never happened, but every human being is a product of what we've gone through. And so you can't extricate yourself out of the fact that you have gone through whatever loss you've gone through. 
It's true. You can't. <laughs> and, you know, I think we just spend a lot of time wishing that it weren't so ignoring it. And that just expends so much energy and wears us down and makes us exhausted emotionally and physically and mentally. And once we are able to get to a point and it takes a while, sometimes it took me years. I'm not trying to be like fake Zen, you know, it really, I struggled. I tried a couple different therapies before I found the one that really helped me. And I think it all came down to coming to a, a point where I couldn't explain it away anymore. It just was what it was, yeah. you know, and all the if onlys and God, if, you know, I wishes in the world weren't going to do anything. And so once I really came to that point, it just freed up so much energy to then take on the, okay, it is what it is. Now what? Like it, it kind of like unskipped the record for me. Yeah. And all the ways that we cope, all the things we do. And I love that you all ultimately come back to compassion for yourself because in my case, like at this point in time, my husband and I, we took our first really big trip together in October for my birthday. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, Rebecca, we flew on separate planes and you know what? I was like, fuck this. Like, own it. it. I am owning it. it. Fire flag. You really do. Yes. (laughs) I was like, you know what? The problem would be if I never left home, but I am leaving home. I am living my life. I'm figuring out my way to get there. Exactly. I approve of this message. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See me in cars, you know, like we all have our flags to fly and we got to fly them as long as we're not hurting ourselves or anybody else. That's what I say about how you live loss. Exactly. I love that. Let's say that again. However you live loss, it's just that you're not hurting yourself or anyone else. That's it. It's like you cannot say that you are doing one of those things or one or both of those things, then you do whatever works for you. That clearly I'm not a therapist, so don't take my word as therapy, but yeah, like take it as a peer-to-peer recommendation that like you do you. Do you need to take time off of work six months after your mom died? Go to your manager and speak up and tell them what you need because I guarantee you, they're not going to just offer it to you. The worst they can say is no. That would make them suck. But you're never going to know unless you advocate for yourself. Do you not feel comfortable traveling? You know, if you're not separated as a family because of the way that somebody in your life died, great. Take separate planes. Is it logistically a nightmare? Yeah, but it's less of a nightmare than you having a nervous breakdown if you're all on the same mode of transport together. It's not worth it. You know, you got to do what works for you. For me, it's that, you know, There's just no way in hell that I will ride in a taxi with my toddler. I just don't take taxis. And I live in Manhattan. And let me tell you, that's so annoying for me. It's awful. So I have to walk everywhere, you know, or stroll him or take public transportation. And that's not so easy in New York City with a kid who's still kind of in a stroller because I won't go anywhere where he can't be in a car seat. And that's what, you know, your mom dying in a car crash does to you. Yes. And that's okay, Rebecca. I give you permission. I give you blessing. It's it's hard. You You have to just get through the pain and cope and like make your life work in a way that makes sense for you. And it's okay. Yep. So another thing I'd love to just sort of ask you about before we do uh, sadly have to say goodbye, but I'm glad I get to actually see you in person soon. Coming back to something that I think is universal for a lot of people and women who I know are listeners of this podcast, so many go through something, let's call it 
something that shaped their outlook in life. And usually those things that shape us are something that might be called painful in some way, shape, or form, whether that's a death, an illness, a divorce, you name it. And so many want to create a way to share that perspective, a platform of sorts. Mm -hmm. And I look at what you've done and also what I've done, because ultimately the whole Beyond Mom platform comes from my deep connection to what change is about and to what loss is about. Because though you gain so much in motherhood, you also lose a lot. And so, yeah. And so it's like coming to terms with like what you're losing and what you're gaining. Mm-hmm. And what I think is really just profound is that ability to take the lessons and take the learning and then position that in a way that you can share that wisdom and that people can engage with this and engage with you. And I would just love to ask you to share a little bit about that journey for you, about creating this from such a vulnerable place and kind of maybe those first few steps or maybe a couple of pieces of wisdom for somebody who might have a similar calling. Yeah. I think it's, you know, everybody needs to do what they have to do to move through adversity and make sense of it and feel inspired because of it. And one of the things that I had to do was, along with my co-founder, Gabby Berkner, who I really like dragged into this thing, was Launch Modern Loss. And I waited until it was not going to be, this is not like the Rebecca project. I don't, I barely write for it. You know, I run it, but I assign, you know, the pieces, edit them, produce everything. Like it's really high quality publication. It's not a blog or a dumping ground, you know, like a listserv or something like that. We don't take all of our, we take very few of the pitches, you know, well, we don't take the majority of the pitches we get because we're a small team. And I think that that was just something I had to do because it came out of a need for building community. And yeah, like maybe it also came out of a need, you know, that stem from being an only child and not having a lot of people to share stories with and feeling like I needed a community because I had all of a sudden lost my parents' community. I lost their friends. I lost, you know, my mom was the hub. She was the social hub, the heart of the family. We always had everything at my house, all the celebrations, all the Thanksgivings, all the Rosh Hashanahs, everything. And I needed to figure out a way to create that hub for myself and bring people together because I am, you know, for lack of a better term, somewhat of a connector. I do like bringing people together. And, but I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about something that I really believed in and really felt like there was a need to connect over. And so Modern Loss came out of, you know, years after my mom's death. This is 2006 to 2013. I was nine months pregnant when the site launched, which makes me crazy. But I just wanted there to be a communal online watering hole where people could find each other to share their experiences, be inspired by others, you know, feel like they're commiserating, feel like they're laughing, feel like they're not going crazy. And I also knew that I could do it as a journalist and a producer and editor. I knew that I could do that professionally. Like I knew how to make that happen. And I also came, you know, from a political satire background. So I knew that I could do it in a way that was had a dose of levity. So I used my professional skill to launch this, to make this a reality. And I think that other people, it's not always about doing a website or a podcast. It's about doing something that they know how to do, but, you know, um, applied to 
what they're going through. And there are so many different ways to do that. So many different ways to be inspired. I think that, you know, it's, there are natural ways to feel like you're being active in remembering somebody or, you know, healing. I think, you know, you could always run a marathon and then you could do fundraising, et cetera. You could do all of those things, but it might also surprise you down the line what you are moved to do not just in spite of, but because of the hand that you've been dealt. And I would, my advice would be to not pressure yourself to know the answer right now. It'll probably come to you when it's meant to come to you. And so for Modern Loss, it was something that, you know, it really just came out of this deep need to make sense of grief, to feel inspired by others, to have a good laugh, because I still wanted to feel like a human being. And this conviction that there's no way in the world that, and Gabby and I were the only ones in the universe who needed something like this. It happened regardless of whether, you know, people are like, how are you going to make any money off of that? Well, we didn't actually know, <laughs> but you know, like we had no idea, but it was this big cauldron of pasta that we boiled and threw against the wall to see what stuck because it was going to exist no matter what, no matter if, you know, it lived as like a little blog for six months and then nothing happened to it. It had to come out. It was coming out of us anyway. You know, I think that building a community is something that never, ever, ever happens unless you completely believe in what you're doing. And I really believe what I'm doing here. I am 1 million percent passionate about what I'm doing. And I'm, dare I say, I'm even more passionate about it than I was six years ago because I can see what the presence of Modern Loss, which is really a movement because it's not just a publication. It's, it's a book. We do live storytelling events. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. I can see the difference it makes. And that really motivates you to keep moving on. I, you know, right before I got onto the phone with you, someone posted in, in our closed Facebook group that they joined our group and they find it more meaningful than therapy. Now, I believe in therapy. Like, I don't think this is a replacement for therapy in the least. I just want to be clear. But that says something, right? Like, that says something. The fact that you feel carried by others, by just other people in the shit <laughs> going yeah. through the same adversity. I think what it says is that, of course, there's a place for therapy. But what it also says is that we can't do this alone. And there's no. really nothing more healing and more therapeutic mm -hmm. than knowing that there are other human beings that are going through the same journey as you because totally true. that's it. I mean, the universality of loss and the grief experience, it's truly like the most human you can be. I really believe that. I think birth mm -hmm. and death are our two most human moments. And whatever comes from that, like we just need to be able to share and share it in a way that feels like you said, held and graceful. Like everything is okay, no matter how messy it is. And that's the beauty of what you've created and your commitment to it and your passion for it is so visible and is so felt. And so I just really thank you for everything you've done deeply. Thank you for everything you're doing. I think that uh, the world needs empathy and love and kindness right now. And it doesn't always have to come in big, huge, sweeping ways. You know, it can come in the form of efforts like these, like ours, because that's really what changes the culture. I really believe it. I believe that too. 
Absolutely. So before we say goodbye, Rebecca, tell everybody how to engage with modern loss, where to follow, and like what are the ways that, you know, people can start getting involved. Yeah. Well, we're on all the socials. <laughs> we're, we're really active on Instagram. I love our Instagram account, I have to say. You know, it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very engaging. It encourages participation. It's at Modern Loss on Instagram, at Modern Loss on Twitter. We are on Patreon. I just launched a Patreon campaign, which is kind of three years overdue, about a month ago. And that enables us to not charge subscriptions for the hundreds of hours uh, that we put into Modern Loss every month and all the work that we do, all the pieces that we publish everywhere we are, all over social media, a lot of our events are free. And so we do appreciate support via patronage, which comes with lots of tiers and lots and lots of benefits like book club access. We do gift swaps on Mother's Day and Father's Day and the winter holidays. Like all of these things are benefit tiers. And so we really do humbly request that people consider doing that. And one of my favorite things is our book. You know, it's called Modern Loss. Really easy to remember the name. Mm -hmm. Came out in at the beginning, actually two years ago, almost in a couple of weeks. And as you mentioned, I think it was named one of the best books on grief for young adults by The Cut. And I'm really, really proud of it. It's a great compilation of more than 40 essays. I wrote extensively for it. So did Gabby. It's very, very illustrated with this great New Yorker illustrator. And a lot of People who are well-known, like Amanda Palmer or, you know, Lucy Kalanithi, whose husband wrote When Breath Becomes Air, Brian Stelter, who's on CNN. But then a lot of people who are just, like, not known because they're not public figures, and they have these amazing stories and these amazing voices and these amazing angles that just really need to be seen by other people. So I am very, very proud of that book. And I think it's a lot better than giving someone an edible arrangement. And I also think that it's a great thing to give and read for yourself at any stage in the game because it's yeah. very purposely, you know, small bite pieces. It's meant to be put down on your coffee table and picked up months later. And it's just meant to be a friend. I love that. Well, I'm going to definitely check it out myself. Well, again, Rebecca, I'm just really honored. And I'm sure by the time this episode goes live, we've already hung out in person. (laughs) So I feel like we're speaking like in the past and the future all at the same time. But you're amazing. I'm really grateful to Zibby for connecting us. And I can't wait for all the good things that you're doing in the world and all the good things we can do together. Yes, I love what you're doing, and I feel like there's a lot more to come. Cheers to that. (laughs) So thank you again, Rebecca. And for those of you that tuned into this episode, thank you for giving your energy, your ears, your heart to such an important conversation. As we started this one, loss affects every single one of us. So it really is a topic that deserves some time and some consideration, whether you're going through a loss or whether someone in your life is and you're looking to be a compassionate, supportive person in someone else's experience. And it goes without saying that if this episode spoke to you and you feel like someone could really get something out of it, please share it. That's the best gift you can give. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast because that's how you won't miss an episode. And in general, continue to give it all of its good ratings and its stars. We need your love and support as we're growing. And I will look forward to seeing you next time. Take care of yourself and see you soon. Bye.